Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at encompass.org.au. Enjoy today's message. Thank you so much. Uh, please take your seats. What a great honour it is to be uh, speaking live here and into the other campuses. Um, it, it, it was a lot of fun yesterday, I hope and trust. I know we had people, I think Pastor Jason, from all the campuses at the Set Apart Seminar. I, um, I have to say to you that I have a prejudice or a, uh, I, I tend to love um, business people. I love people that are in the workplace. I love, uh, you know, young men and young women that are, you know, in university. This is, for me, a great, great passion of the arena of faith. You know, I, um, I feel like I have a mandate to war against a concept that... Um, keeps faith contained inside very small boxes and very small compartments of our lives. That just is not, um, it's not biblical faith. And uh, my, my um, Hope UC is my home campus. Uh, I, I fulfill a couple of roles there. I'm a bivocational minister, meaning that I, I, have a, I run a global consultancy company and I'm also uh, the business manager, the elder in our, an elder in our church, and the business pastor. And so what that means as a business pastor is one of my primary roles is to equip and strengthen the people, the saints, the 98% of saints throughout our church that express their ministry of faith Monday to Saturday dominantly, and of course, uh, love God and love the house uh, when they come together Sunday as well. And so that's a great honor and um, uh, was such a joy to meet your pastors last year, uh, last year, yeah, and, um, you know, just be able to connect in this way. So thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. I am... Um, uh, this morning, I, I really just want to bring an exhortation about this, this thought of what does it mean to live out this kingdom life? like this kingdom life. The, the, lots of people are st- talking in church world these days about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I've got to say to you that just in a quick snapshot, the kingdom of God, when I say that, I'm not just talking about your eternal security after you die, right? The kingdom of God is not, you know, respectfully heaven. Uh, it, it is the totality of your life, life in God expressed in the earth right now. And it captures more than just, you know, what we might call our 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 sacred life, you know, prayer, church, reading the Bible, all those things are amazing, but, but they're not the container alone in which we exercise our spirituality, right? When, when we're in the marketplace uh, doing great business and serving customers well, guess what? We're being spiritual. When, when we are um, in, you know, in a boardroom solving a problem that's got nothing to do with the, with, with, Christianity, um, we're being spiritual, right? Like we, uh, to, to, to walk in the kingdom is to understand that the lordship of Jesus Christ does not stop 
at the end of our church buildings. Uh, But actually, we are, as New Covenant believers, we are now the temples, the living, walking temples of God. We are the gate of heaven. Wherever you are, the kingdom is. (laughs) Really important. You know, we live in really interesting times. I mean, man, it's 2024, and, um, you know, we see things coming at us at an accelerated rate, it seems. I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old this year, and, and life just seems to get faster, not slower. I thought it got slower as you got older, but everything seems to be speeding up, and all of a sudden, so, so I'm in my 50s, and, and life's busy because there's now just, there's not just my spouse and, and my kids, now there's grandkids. Oh my goodness, grandkids. Oh, I, I, I love being a dad, but I got to tell you, grandparenting is next level. Like it's all the benefits and none of the downside, right? You just hand them back. Like you just, it's awesome. But, but things just continue to accelerate. And so all of us, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if, you, if you're on social media or you, you know, you're, you've been awake, I mean, we're hearing this, uh, oh man, AI and, and blockchain and, 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 you know, in the technology space and quantum computing and, and now breakthroughs in medicine and science and, you know, the big shifts that are going on geopolitically with nations and, and, and the world is changing, it seems, right? Geoeconomically, blockchain, I mean, we have a... Have you gone to the bank recently and tried to either deposit or take out $5,000? You've literally, they literally, you'll be interrogated, right? You'll be interrogated about, I mean, so all these things are changing on us. As a matter of fact, many futurists believe that in the next seven years, from 2023, they said in the next seven years, in the lead up to 2030, that there will be more change in, the, in just civic society and in all these areas in the next seven years than there were in the last 100. Right, right? Like, like, I mean, if you think back, that's not a big proposition because if you think back 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe 20 years ago, and you would have said to someone an iPhone, we would have said, what's that, you know? But back at that time, we were still, you know, how many of you are old enough to remember doing that? <laughs> you know? or, and, and a mobile phone looked like a brick. You know, and I remember the, I remember this client coming in. I was working in this menswear store. This client came in with one of the first mobile phones, and he literally had what looked like a backpack that was the battery for his mobile phone. It was ridiculous, but he thought he was great. So you know, like, so if you think about it, you go, well, well, that's it's not a radical notion. If that was just 20 years ago, imagine 2030. Imagine 2040. What? What is life going to look like? Smart cities, all this stuff. And, and what can happen, I'm saying this and I'm, I'm kind of excited because I'm an early ad- adopter and so I love this stuff, but it freaks out a lot of my friends, right? And, and I get it. It's, it's, it's the unknown. It's, the, it, it can, it, it'll either go, oh man, that's amazing. Let's run with it. Usually if you're under the age of 25, you're going, this is awesome. Bring it on, Right. But for some of us that are over a certain, uh, you know, we might be going, whoa, hang on, I'm still trying to catch up. What's an iPhone? You know, (laughs) like what's going on? And and it can bring inside the believer, you know, we're not immune just because we love God and because we we, we have our Bible. We're not immune by by the pressure or the impulse or potentially some of the anxiety that, that this, this situation can bring upon us, right? And it's interesting. Every generation believes that it's unique 
in these spaces. And yet, I've got to say to you that these pressures are just true to humanity, irrespective where, where on the spectrum of history you're born, right? Even, even in Jesus' time, uh, we see these pressures in the Roman Empire. Lots of stuff was changing. These pressures were on them. And, you know, the, the question is, how, how, how do we as believers, how do we engage this moment? Because all of us are a custodian of a moment in time, right? We are, we're a custodian of this moment. We're not a, you know, I love history, but, but I can't go and change that. And in a hundred years, well, I'm probably not going to be around because I, 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 I love food too much, you know? I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not going to be around. So, but but I'm, I'm here now. This is my moment. This is your moment. We, we're living this now. Like, this is our moment in our ambassadorship of Christ in the earth. And so the good news is that the Spirit of God, our life in God, our relationship with Jesus Christ actually advantages us in the midst of this moment. Many people, sometimes there's this prejudice that almost senses, oh, well, as a Christian, I'm just disadvantaged because, you know, I'm going against the grain because things, you know, I'm not going with the flow and all this stuff. But I'm going to say to you that that's that's not true. Like, it can seem like that. But actually, the reality of the kingdom of God, the life of God inside of you is your advantage, right? We, that, that's why, you know, uh, John says in 3 John 1 verse 2, he says this, he says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things, right, and be in health even as your soul prospers. The Apostle John had a prejudice that the kingdom of God would cause you, cause all believers to prosper, not in some things, not in just religious things, not in just, you know, small pockets of time and small pockets of situation, but in all things, right? Being a believer, uh, being, you know, in the kingdom of the Father is supposed to cause that the natural state, listen to this, of every believer should be prospering. Now, there are seasons, right, because it's holistic prospering, there are seasons that you have to prosper in the midst of a storm, right? And that prosperity usually looks like patience and endurance and vigilance and consistency and standing in faith in the midst of contrary circumstances. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting a sugarcoat gospel here either that's devoid of, you know, shade and light, you know, if, if your concept of God and the kingdom and your salvation is that every day is just, you know, a winning day, then, then uh, you, you know, that's a nice concept. I'm just not sure it's the reality that any of us experience. If you experience that, then kudos to you because that's not my life. But nevertheless, John says, beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health, but he, he, he's in all things. But then he says, even as your soul prospers, right? Now, you've got to think about this for a minute you know, body, soul, and spirit, when, when he says, even as your soul prospers, what he's saying is that there is a direct relation for you to prosper in your moment with regards to how's your soul doing, your mind, your will, your emotions. 
This is where we, 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 this is our part here of the renewing of our mind, the, the, the capturing of the perspectives of God. Do you think God has a perspective on AI? Do you think God has a perspective on blockchain? And I, I mean, I just saw, I think it was this week, um, you know, love him or hate him, Elon Musk and his company just released Neuralink, uh, which is an implant into the brain that basically makes you like a cyborg. It, it, it activates you. Uh, you're 24-7. You're in. You're in the matrix, right? If you think about that, that freaks out most Christians that I know. You know, they actually built that technology initially for quadriplegics so that hoping that as they stimulate the brain through thinking, um, because you command, so you command it not through a keypad, you command it through your thoughts, uh, that it would cause um, signals to be able to be sent to their muscles and their legs and they begin to start walking again. Could you imagine that? Uh, you know, I'm not saying there's not a dark side to it, by the way. I mean, I've got to say, a couple of years ago, I saw this video of this monkey that had the Neuralink implanted into him playing a video game with its brain. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like, it freaked me out. And, and I was just like, I reckon I could beat that monkey anyway. <laughs> you know, but like, so what's the kingdom perspective? How do we, how do we make sure, here's the thing, how do we make sure that we prosper and, the, and, and as an extension of that, the kingdom of God and the testimony of God prospers through us in this moment because the alternative to that is that we become anxious and we become reactive and we lose kingdom perspective and we, 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 we become shut down and we miss our moment. And, and I think that would be a great tragedy. I, I think that would be a great tragedy. And yeah, we don't, we don't want that to happen. You know, the, um, uh, so I'm a business guy and, and uh, you know, love business books. And one of the earliest business books I ever read, it's not a, just a business book, it's a life book, is um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Steve Covey. It's like a classic book. And one of the habits that he talked about that distinguished people that flourished, people that were effective, he talked about these two dimensions. He talked about in life that there were this, there's this thing that's called circle of concern and then there's this other part that's called circle of influence. And he said that the things that are in circle of concern are the things that happen in life that you and I have no ability to change. You, you, you know, you can't change who's the president in some country or, or you know, um, uh, what the geopolitical landscape is. Most of us, uh, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives, maybe, maybe you do, but, but in our day-to-day -day lives physically, we don't have an impact on those type of things, you know, like it just is what it is and, and it, it affects us, but we have no ability to change that. And then he said that the other part of our life is things that are in our circle of influence and things that are in a circle of influence are things that we can directly have an impact about. Our attitudes, uh, the way that we treat people, the, the way that we engage life, the way that we engage hope, the way that, you know, the conversations we have, all those sort of things, that circle of influence. And he said in his study of influential and, and, and people that were effective, he said that he found people that lived ineffective lives spent 90% of their emotional energy worrying about things that are in the circle of their concern. That they have no, you know, just, just no impact on. And they would, they would waste 90% of their emotional energy in that 
and therefore, because we all have limited emotional energy every day, and then really only have kind of like 10% or a small part of their emotion left to actually deal and touch with the things that make a difference. And he said, if you wanted to be an effective human being, in, in, as a parent, as a human being, as a business person, whatever, he said, the idea was that, yes, you would be aware of the things that are in the circle of your concern, but you would not, you know, allow them to overwhelm you so that most of your emotions go there, but you would focus and say, hang on, what's in front of me? What can I do? What's, what, what, how, you know, how can I make an impact here? I, I, I mean, I know that's a, a sort of a, a business book that wasn't a Christian business book, but I think the principle is key with regards to how should we stand as believers in this day? Well, we can go and argue and, and waste all our time about things that we don't actually have any influence over, or we can get on with the business of letting the good news of Christ be manifest through us in our homes, in our families, you know, creating environments where people can flourish. I mean, goodness, you know, at a minimum, create an environment where you, your spouse can flourish, where your children can flourish, you know, start there and then go beyond, well, in my workplace and then in my school and then in my, you know, uh, I, you know, some kids, um, some young guys, you know, they say to me, oh, Dave, you know, because I'm a they said, tell, tell us some of the keys about success. And I'm like, great, make your bed. Like, like, you know, Jordan Peterson, right? Make your bed. Let's start there. Like, before you're going to go and take on the world, just own that space. Make your bed, you know. That'd be, that'd be good, good place to start. So Jesus, listen, Jesus and his generation uh, when he, when, is not devoid of these pressures. And, and I want to pick up just a moment. In, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus addresses this tension head on, right? Because you've got to remember the pressure, right? Roman Empire, uh, most of Jesus' disciples are good Jewish boys, right? So they're, they're, the, they're the minority, they're the oppressed, they're not, you know, they're not in power as far as politics, they're, they're being disadvantaged in many ways, there's pressure to compromise, right? Does this sound familiar? Like, like there's just all these things coming upon them and you go, oh, well, we've got it bad. Well, think about this. I mean, in their day and age, Caesar was like, like you were an enemy of the state if you did not declare that Caesar was king of kings and lord of lords. You, you were an enemy of the state if you did not acknowledge that there is no name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Caesar. Does any of those quotes sound familiar to you? Because <laughs> right? the early church was absolutely radical in its declaration saying Caesar is not that but Jesus is, Right? So it's in that environment. I want you to hear the environment and the tension that Jesus is speaking into uh, when he speaks this. And so in Matthew 6, he says to his disciples and those that are with him, and by extension, us today, he says this. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is trying to bring a perspective shift here uh, to empower 
his disciples, the early church, and by extension, every other believer with a perspective dimension that they can stand in their generation holding these truths, right? So he goes on, he goes, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, how much and will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you little faith. Then he says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. What he's saying there is that for those men and women and people in the earth that have not come into a revelation of the Father, it is uh, unavoidable that these issues will be the consumption, like will consume them to a place of almost insanity. The Gentiles mean those that at this point are just foreign in their minds and hearts, not knowing the true love of God, right? It, it, you, you might go, oh yeah, well, just everybody's so materialistic. If you have no other anchor for your life, of course you will be. And, and weren't we before we came into Christ? But wasn't that, you know? So he says, these things the Gentiles seek. For, and then he says, for your heavenly Father knows that you know all these things. That's really interesting because I've got to tell you, I wish I, I'd picked that up in the early days because most of my prayers in my early 20s when I was a young believer was making sure God knew what I needed and how I needed it, and how he was supposed to give that to me. I was just, I was very thorough in my prayer time, helping God make sure he knew how to take care of me. I mean, I would talk about the brands that I needed, you know. I was very specific about that. And so I, I thought I was helping God. I never understood that he actually knew and his plan was better than the things. Most of the, most of the prayers that God did not answer uh, that I prayed, which was most of my 20-year-old prayers, um, was not because he was mean. It was because my prayers weren't big enough. And it would have been a dishonor of his glory to answer the smallness of what I was asking for because he had determined something so much greater. So he says... But seek first. So now he's shifting. He's saying, this is what, uh, where's my negative here? Um, this is what the Gentiles, this is their mode of operation, the anxiety, the, the grasping, the hustle and grind, the preoccupation with all these things. So he says that's, that's their mode of operandi and that's why they're riddled with worry and anxiety, which actually breaks the heart of God. Jesus isn't gloating on that. He's saying it breaks my heart that that's how they operate because I have something so much better and it's called the kingdom. And he says for the believer, for those that actually know the goodness of God, our, our posture is in the priority of our seeking is to seek first the kingdom, right? It says here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, right, all these things shall be added to you. Shall be added to you. This is a different operating system. Like, you have to understand, this, the kingdom of God, 
right? In a, in a broad sense, the kingdom of God is where is the reign of God, the, where the lordship of Christ is. And through the cross, Jesus has established or reestablished the lordship of Christ uh, all throughout his creation. But we understand that, that the fullness of that lordship is subject to, right, the spirit of God at work inside the believers. Therefore, it is our job to bring Christ's goodness and his lordship into every sphere of society. That's called your destiny. That's called destiny. When you bring the goodness of God into your home, you're establishing the kingdom there. When you bring the goodness of God into that workplace, even though uh, you're not allowed to say Jesus maybe, or even though you're not allowed to share your faith openly, when you bring the, the kingdom of God through the, the goodness of God and the, the values of God and, you, and, and the testimony of Jesus through your actions, you're establishing the kingdom of God in that place. Now we know, listen, we know that the fullness of that will not come into full consummation until the second coming of Christ. Like we, well, I, I get that, right? So the kingdom, if I can say it this way, the kingdom at, what, it, it, at the cross when through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, the kingdom of God, because Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, it means I, I bring it with me, right? It's at hand, it's within your grasp, right? Jesus inaugurates the kingdom, right? He, he, he reestablishes it through, through the dealing of the eradication of the thing that blocked the goodness and the mercy and the love of God from being able to be displayed dominantly in the lives of people, which was our sin. Jesus uh, eradicates that through the cross and inaugurates the kingdom makes it available to whosoever will call on his name. Wow, what a, what a powerful posture every generation has because guess what? Uh, AI or quantum computing or blockchain or all these things that are coming down the pipeline are in our future, but they are in God's past. So, so God has a capital AI or mighty intelligence that, 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 that actually brings answers and enhancements to man's AI, artificial intelligence, right? Like, all I'm saying is God understands blockchain even though I don't. You know, God understands quantum computing even though I don't. I mean, do you understand that quantum computing, which will be your laptop in 2030, will make your laptop in 2030 a thousand times more powerful than your digital laptop today? A thousand times more powerful. Just, you've got to get your head around that. But God's not intimidated by any of that. He's got answers for that. And he's actually got kingdom influence that, that, that should be in play. That's why I'm, I'm the advocate that says, hey, believers should be at the forefront of all of this rather than sitting at the tail behind complaining that the people that are leading this stuff don't honor God or, or, or are taking it in a place they shouldn't take it. Well, well, let's get a seat at the table up front, right? Let, like, let's be there. Let's raise up young men, young women that actually are passionate about being scientists and doctors and lawyers and barristers and, you know, the top of their class. I, I remember, a, um, you know, great young guy at church came to me and he said, uh, you know, we're chatting. I said to him, hey, man, what are you, what are you doing when you finish school? He said, I'm going to go to uni, going to be a school teacher. 
I said, oh man, that's amazing. You're going to be a school teacher. He says, yeah. I said, listen, if you already, if you're going to be a school teacher, I said, what about, what, could you think a little bigger? Like, would you like to be, you know, the head of, the head of a department maybe, not just a school teacher, but the head of a department? He goes, oh yeah, that'd be amazing. I, could, I reckon I could believe that. I said, well, if you're going to be the head of a department, I said, maybe you could, maybe you could be a principal of a school. He goes, principal of a school? He goes, well, I never really thought about that, but you know, you're right. I mean, why not? If I'm going to be a school teacher, I could maybe be a principal. I said, well, hang on a second. Hang on, hang on. I said, if you're going to be potentially a school principal, what if, what if you could be the federal minister for education one day and literally change, like be at the, be at the power table to influence? He said, you know, I've never thought about it. I said to him, a guy, a, a billionaire came when I was a young man to our church and he said this statement. I'll never, never, never forget it. He said, whether you choose to live a big life or a small life, the price is the same. It'll cost you your life. So if the price is the same, your life, why not go for a big life? Because it's going to cost you that, going to cost you your life anyway, rather than settle for a small life and pay your entire life for it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that, that's kingdom to me. That, that, like that, so this young guy is like, yeah, okay. I was like, because he was asking me to pray for him, I said, I said to him, let's just pray that there's no limitations. And whatever God has, wherever God wants to catapult you, that, that's, that's where you're going to go. Let's, let's, let's pray for that. Let's believe for that. I, could we do that today? Could we believe for that? Bible says that, Jesus says, if we seek first the kingdom, in other words, what does that mean? Does it mean that we live in church 24-7 or that we, you know, we, we pray, uh, we don't sleep anymore and we just pray from 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock? Like, no, 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 no. To seek first the kingdom means to, to establish that before everything else, the king and his kingdom is going to be first priority in my life. Everything else is subject to that principle. My marriage is subject to that principle. The way I parent my children is subject. The way that I deal with my finances, the way that I speak to my neighbor, the way that I, I operate in the workplace, the way that I run my business is subject to, I put first the king and his kingdom. Now, now here's the interesting thing. Jesus says, if you do that, a spiritual dynamic comes in play, which says... All of a sudden, you activate something that says things, the things that everybody else is running after and preoccupied with and trying to figure out, those things that are assigned to your life in the goodness of God. He just talked about how God took care of the birds and, the, and how much more, you, you know, and, and the flowers and how much greater are you than that. He, all those things that are established to you, he says, shall be added to you, they will begin to chase you. Hustle and grind is the attempt of the world to chase things. And so it's always about, you know, who can get up earlier, you know. First of all, it was a 6 a.m., then it's 5 a.m. Now I'm hearing, like, somebody talk about 3 a.m. Goodness gracious, I want to sleep, man. Like, just let me sleep, you know. <laughs> like, but but they, they do, they drive themselves nuts. Go, man, if I can just hustle hard. I mean, hustle three... If I get up at 3 o'clock, I'm telling you, 3.05, I'm snoring. You know, like I'm not hustling anything, not for long anyway, you know. 
But Jesus says, it, there's almost an insanity to it. It's an insatiableness about it. And it never satisfies anyway. He says, but for us, we, we don't have to hustle and grind. Now listen, don't, don't, don't tell your friend that pastor said, oh, you can be lazy and just, you know, que sarah, sarah. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is we're diligent, we're excellent, we, we, we give ourselves well because we're not representing ourselves, we're representing the king. We have an excellent spirit inside of us, but we're not anxious that I've got to chase. We stand in this posture that things chase me. Every blessing, every promise of God chases me finds me, locates me, uh, overcomes every obstacle that sets itself up against me, against you. Amen? I, I, I've had the privilege of traveling the world and being with some of the most, you know, successful, outstanding people, uh, believers, non-believers. And I thank God for that. But I have to say to you, that on this earth, my greatest hero is not a businessman, is not a politician that I've been with or a celebrity. It's my mother, my mother. Now, I had a praying mother, uh, a believing mother, <clears throat> and my, my family context is I have four other siblings, and uh, my mother was a believer. My father abandoned faith very early on in his marriage, and uh, my dad, as much as my mum prayed, my dad played, right? So you just got to know that. And um, my mother was uh, just this faithful prayer warrior. I always say she was Jesus in a skirt. And she tells, she tells this story about putting out, she's out the back putting up the clothes in the clothesline, and uh, as she's there, she's praying because she prayed a lot, and she said she felt a, a dark spirit come to her and call her, say to her, her name's Olga, say to her, Olga, you may be saved, but none of your children and your husband, none of them will come to faith. I have them. And so you need to stop praying for them uh, because they're not coming to faith. And my mother said that, that this, this was so real to her. She said, like a mad woman, with no one else around in the backyard, she started to talk back or declare back to this dark spirit. She said to this dark spirit, she said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. All of my children will come to faith in Jesus Christ and my husband, right? <clears throat> now, she said that whilst none of the, you know, some of the kids were still, some of my brothers were still a bit young, you know, but um, I think my brother and I, we were the two oldest, we'd stop going to church and all the rest. And my dad was just, you know, way, way away. Anyway, by, true to this statement, my mother saw every one of my siblings come to Christ. My, my sisters started first, uh, then my older brother came to Christ and my younger brother came to Christ, and I was the last cab, off, I, was the, I was the resistor, and find, you know, uh, came to Christ. And I, you know, it was great. Now, whilst each of the kids are coming to Christ, my dad was just becoming more negative, and, you know, listen, ethnic father, right, just macho man, all of that. And he, he left faith in Christ because he, he, he got hurt by a church, 
right? He got hurt by a church and so he swore he'd never go back. And so my, my dad went sort of way out and all her children came to Christ, all my mother's children came to Christ and my brother's sisters. And I remember saying to my mother, because whenever I'd call her, she'd say, oh, you know, I just thank the Lord that all of you are just serving God and going on for God. And, and I'm just waiting for my last promise of your father, you know. And, and my father was getting old at this time. And I remember, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, you don't say this to an intercessor. But I said to my mother, listen, you got five out of six, right? Like that's 90%, that's pretty, that's a pretty, like that's a pretty good day, you know what I'm saying, right? You got five out of six. I said, mum, I'm just not sure that this, she said, David, she said, the Lord promised me, I declared it to that spirit and you know what? I'm not backing away. God is gonna do that. So anyway, my mother did, I have to say, is a good ethnic Mama, she tried to help God a couple of times, get my dad to church. <laughs> Would always scheme to get Christians around him. And, and so he got really good at, at, at smelling Christians out. And, you know. and so my father's a businessman. And he's running this shop and he, he, he comes to a situation where he needed a new window, somebody to come and clean the windows of the shop. And my mother says, hey, I know this guy, you know, like, let me introduce you. And... Uh, uh, so she introduces him, and she's scheming again, introduces him, and my dad goes, oh, yeah, great, yeah, no problem, that's fantastic, gives him his word, you can clean my windows. Then my mum fesses up after, and she says, hey, you know, Ralph, actually, he comes to our church, and this and that, my dad was like, oh, you know, but he, he'd said his word, so he didn't want to lose face, so he lets this guy clean the windows, and, and, and against my dad's, you know, better judgment, he starts to like the guy. <laughs> he starts to like the guy, loves talking to the guy and opening his heart a little bit. Well, it's not long. The guy gets cancer. He's an older guy. He gets cancer and he dies. And uh, my mother says to my dad, oh, you know, Ralph, he passed away and his funeral's going to be on Wednesday. Do you want to go to the funeral? And my father says, yeah, you know, I want to honour this guy. I really liked him. And then she drops the bomb and she says, you know, this guy's funeral is in the church that 40 years ago... You had that moment and that incident, and my father swore he'd never go back to this church. It was this traditional church. He's like, ah, never going. So now my father's in a quandary because he got it. He wants to go to the funeral, but he swore he'd never go back to this uh, this church, right? So my dad, you know, typical again, typical ethnic dad, makes all these conditions. We're going to arrive just just when it's starting. I'm only going to sit in the back row. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't definitely don't want to talk to the pastor. Uh, we're going to sit in the back row, and the moment it's finished, we're leaving. My mother says, sure, no, no problem, you know, no problem. So they turn up, the funeral's just started, and they walk in, and true to form, my mother, you know, so they sit in the back row, and as my father sits down on this old pew, he falls into a trance, right? He falls into this spiritual trance. Now, you know, th- I'm talking about like a, an ethnic dad, macho man, 58, 59, falls into this trance, and Jesus appears to him begins calling him by name, Hector, Hector, Hector. Why are you running? Hector, Hector, Hector. And my father's freaking out, but my mother doesn't know anything that's happening. My father's just still, and she just thinks he's paying attention, but he's in this trance, Hector, Hector, Hector. And eventually Jesus says to my dad, uh, what you loved, what you connected about with this man was me inside of this man. And if you'll surrender your heart right now to me, I will give you that peace and that joy and that love. And so my father, in the trance, 
bows his heart for the first time truly, gives his life to Christ. When he does that, he comes out of the trance and the funeral's over. So says nothing to my mother as they're leaving until they get in the car and then he tells her what happens. Well, you could imagine that moment, you know. All of a sudden, you know, the next day, dad's calling up all the kids. I want to take you all out to lunch. You know, we're thinking, oh, great. You know, dad's putting his hand in his pocket. It's awesome. Takes us all out to lunch. <laughs> and he tells the kids the story. Well, you can imagine. I got ethnic sisters. They're crying. They're howling in this restaurant. It's embarrassing. Everybody's crying. I'm straight-faced. I, I don't know if it's true if he's having a mental episode, like, remember, I, I, so I'm like struggling. I'm going, I want this to be true, but I got no idea because I've lived with this guy for 50 years and this is like, it's a solitarsis moment or it's something else. And I think my heart was like, oh, if I, if I believe it and then it's false, I don't know if I can manage that. So anyway, the next, the next, that Sunday, my father, he's in the front row of the church with my mother, Right? Like, my, I, my mother was glowing, you know. And uh, uh, the worship's on. He looks around. It's a Pentecostal church. All the hands are up. So he's like, yep, okay. This is what you do. He's got his hands up. Uh, you know, like he's enjoying the service. And I still, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm the row behind him. I'm looking at him. I'm going, I don't know, man. I don't know. All of a sudden, here's what happened. It's old school. So the offering time comes, right? Now, you got to know this moment. You got to know this moment. The offering time comes and it's the old buckets where the buckets are coming, right? And uh, as the buckets come, my dad's a business guy, always carries cash, like always cash in the pocket, right? A water cash. I remember when that bucket came and my dad put his hand in his pocket and drops a water cash in the bucket, I lifted my hands. I said, <laughs> <laughs> He's saved, man. <laughs> He's saved. I don't know what your impossible moment is, what your impossible prayer is. I don't know what the circumstances surrounding your life are right now. The thing I want to encourage you this morning as we wrap up is this. If you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. I, how do you make that up? How do you pray that? How do you, you know, all these things will be added to you. I, I really believe 2024 for Encompass Church, you know, in all the campuses and all these, I really believe, as you, this is the prophetic word, if you seek first, if you continue Seek first the kingdom, prioritize in your marriage, in your homes, in your finances, in your business, in your careers, in your school. Like if you seek first the kingdom, if you prioritize the king and his kingdom first, I, I, on the authority of scripture, on the authority of the prophetic dimension, the things that you, you've been believing for, that it doesn't matter how grandiose or outrageous they seem, the promise of God is this will be added to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Could we take a moment? Could you stand with me and, and uh, in the other campuses? Let's stand. And I want you to take a moment with God. You know, I, I shared that testimony really to just 
inspire faith inside of you. Because, you know, um, sometimes we read the miracles in Scripture and we kind of know them, but they feel like stories. And whilst we can connect to them, it's like, yeah, but that was so long ago. And, and, you know, but when we hear a miracle in the midst of the messiness of humanity in our generation, all of a sudden we give glory to God and we say, God, me too. You can do that in me. You can do that in my home, in my family, my wife and my children. Like it, maybe it's not, maybe what the, the, the big ask is not a salvation of a family member or maybe it is. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, it's, it's a miracle in your body of health. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your finances or in your career or in the business or in relationships that have gone skew if or, or whatever it is, but can we just just close your eyes right now and just kind of before the Father know this, <laughs> that you are worth so much more than the, than the birds of the air that God takes care of, than, than all of creation that God causes to, to operate in the rhythm of His glory. You, you are worth so much more. How much more? This is what Jesus says, how much more? Does the Father love you, know you, know you by name, know your circumstances, know your heart's desires, know the depths of your cries? How much more does the Father love you? And as we just, you know, affirm and, and, and almost like reset ourselves, it's not like, for some of us, it's not like maybe you have been seeking the kingdom first, but it's like, well, this morning I'm just affirming that again. I'm saying yes and amen to this message. Or maybe, maybe you've been distracted. Maybe the cares of this world, maybe, you know, issues and stuff. Maybe it's, it's the big, you know, big geopolitical stuff, but maybe it's just home stuff. You know, I know how that all gets. And you just, you, you've gotten a little bit loose and the kingdom's there and God's there, but it, it's kind of, you, you wouldn't say He's first. He's not first, you know. And, and this is kind of this moment of a reminder that says, hey, put me first. The King and His kingdom, Jesus, we put you first right now. Every circumstance, every situation represented, every life, every home, every family, every marriage, God, in, in, in these campuses, we put you first. We say, Jesus, you're first. Come on, tell him. Jesus, you're first. Uh, you, your kingdom is first in me. Your, 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 your ways are first, God. You, the priorities of my life, Lord, are first towards you. Everything else falls into play, God, as, 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 as the cornerstone, Christ, the cornerstone. As I place you first, help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help me. Maybe you might go, I don't know how to put God first in everything. Well, that's why we have the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit that leads us. As many as are the sons of God, Romans 8, they are led by the Spirit of God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead us. Teach us, teach us how to, how, to, how to prioritize the King and His kingdom. Put you first in all things. Lord, we know, Lord, even though that in and of itself is enough reward, we know that You promised that all the things, God, all the things that You've ordained in goodness towards us shall be added. <laughs> God, You are the Master of orchestrating events, God, of putting us in the right place at the right time. 
God, of opening the right door, of, of just managing things in such a way, God, so that it will be added to our lives. And Lord, we can say, beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health, prosper in all things and be in health, even as our soul prospers because, Lord, our priority is you and your kingdom. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.